0: This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. This is Fresh FM, your community access radio station. Broadcasting across the Top of the South, in Nelson, Tasman on 104.8, Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, Blenheim on 88.9 and the Nelson CBD on 107.2. And streaming to the planet through our website freshfm.net. Welcome to our show, Heads Up, brought to you by the Brain Injury Association, Top of the South with help from the Neurological Foundation, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9am. Special mention to our fantastic sponsors, the Nelson Clinic, and of course, Fresh FM, for making this show happen.
1: Kia ora to our lovely listeners out there. I just want to update you on our Brain Injury Support Group whereabouts for October. Every Tuesday we meet at the Deck to Hunanui, which is 70 Beach Road, at 10.30am. On Fridays, we meet at Honest Lawyer. In October, we'll be meeting on Friday the 1st, the 15th and the 29th at 10.30am. We'll be having a tour of the new Fiends Appleby Fire Station, followed by some planting in our planter boxes on Friday the 8th of October at 10.30am, corner of Mootry Highway and Redwood Road. We'll be having Arts and Crafts on Friday the 22nd of October at the BAA Office 469 Main Road Stoke. We'll be making some Christmas decorations getting ready for our Christmas tree at the Nelson Cathedral. This event is free thanks to the Nelson City Council. Please keep in mind, at all gatherings, you are to scan or manually enter in your attendance. Wear a mask to and from venues and try to keep distancing where possible. Alright guys, my name's Emma. I work at the Brain Injury Association Top of the South. We're very excited to announce the Neurological Foundation will be collaborating with us on the show and providing some amazing content. We'll have interviews with renowned doctors and scientists and information and education. A little bit about the Neurological Foundation, if you're unaware, uh, is a New Zealand charity that funds vital research and ongoing education into neurological conditions, which includes diseases and disorders of the brain, spine and nerves. The Foundation's sole focus is to work towards the treatment, management and prevention of the neurological conditions by funding research and education. One in five New Zealanders suffers from a neurological condition. A little bit around the Brain Injury Association and what we do is we provide advocacy for people, support, information and education to the top of the South. We help People navigate the health system after having a brain injury, which can be really hard work. Uh, we also have a membership and support groups that we run weekly. These are a great way for people to keep socialising and just to have support. You do not have to have a brain injury to come to these support groups. You can also have, be a family member living alongside brain injury because you also need some support too.
0: Both the Brain Injury Association and the Neurological Foundation are not-for-profits and need your ongoing support to continue help people in our community, head to these websites if you wish to donate, braininjury.nz or neurological.org.nz.
2: Good morning and thank you so much again for um, listening to our segment. This is Callie Bain from the Neurological Foundation um, talking to you from a very sunny Waihola today, which is if you don't know, between Dunedin and Belclutha. Hope you're doing all well there today. Really, really pleased to welcome our guest today, which is Dr. Sarah Schomburger. Sarah's got a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Auckland. Uh, She was also a fully grant-funded research fellow there. She is our research manager and has um, experience across all aspects of research funding. Uh, She helped the university secure lots of government research funding and she supports researchers here at the Neurological Foundation in applying for grants um, and liaises with them and basically holds their hand, don't you Sarah? That sounds about right, Kelly. <laughs> That's good. Um, now before we talk about what you do with us, could you just lead us through to a little bit of a mihi from you about your journey, about how you got to be where you are now?
3: Sure. Well, the start of my journey was my desire from a young age to be a medical doctor. That's where it started, and then it stopped quite abruptly when I didn't get into medical school. Ah. I (laughs) had to rethink my plans. (laughs) Uh. So I was absolutely devastated that I didn't get in. But my plan B was a degree in biomedical science and the more that I looked at it the more interesting it sounded. I'd never really heard about medical research before or
2: looked at it at all. Yeah sorry to just interrupt there. What is biomedical science? Yes, can you maybe tell us a little bit about what that is? What what's the difference?
3: So there's a whole lot of different types of medical research and so the biomedical science degree sort of gives you an overview of everything. So you've got physiology which looks at how the body works you've got pharmacology which looks at how drugs work then you've got anatomy and it brings together all those things and it was a fascinating degree and I never looked back after I started that.
2: Great Um, so how long were you at university finding out oops the path you'd thought about for 15 years was not the one for you? So, a bit of tenacity, you know, quite a lot of tenacity from you to pivot, which I'm not really a fan of that word, but turn around and think, right, I still love this area of the world. Where can I sit in it? You know, so how how many years were you at university before you had to come to that?
3: So, the degree was an honors degree, which is four years long, and I, you can start the degree and then reapply. for med school but for some reason that just never crossed my mind once I got into the (laughs) degree I was just really into it and then in the fourth year you have to take part in a research project and a whole lot of different academics came and presented their ideas to us and there was one very confident inspiring professor called professor garth cooper who was doing a project in alzheimer's right. which my grandfather had died with and it just grabbed me straight away and everyone else was too scared to approach professor cooper because he was this you know big um famous scientist i guess you'd say who would actually discovered a hormone amylin for his phd which has to do with diabetes yes And he was just so confident in everything that most people didn't want to approach him. But I just knew straight away that was the project I wanted to do. So because I was the only one that asked for it, I got to go and do that project for my honours. And that really got me into neuroscience.
2: Fantastic. Um, Such tenacity. And I think that after you did your degree, where did you move to from there? I think that you also, and I... Because we want to talk about you as a whole person, not just you as the doctor going to university. You had children, didn't you, as well, which kind of impacted your path. It wasn't as straightforward in your research journey as you thought it was going to be.
3: Yeah, so after my honours, I was just actually going to get a job with someone in Professor Garth Cooper's lab as his technician, and that fell through. And so... Garth Cooper said to me, why don't you do a PhD? That had never crossed my mind. (laughs) I was just so engaged with the research that to spend another four years doing it sounded like a really good idea. So I was actually studying for eight years in total when you combine my honours and my PhD.
2: And
3: during my PhD, I got married and my husband had a very secure job at Air New Zealand as an engineer so I never wanted to go overseas like a lot of research fellows do yes. they do some stints overseas that just never really was the case within a couple of years after I would finished my PhD I had my first child and we were settled in New Zealand and it was probably a bit of a death knell for my career as a research fellow not mm. going overseas but it was just my life was in New Zealand and that was sure. me. And,
2: and yeah. so people are in that situation now. Travel is tricky. So yeah. how do you think that's going to impact the, you know, the PhD students and fellows now?
3: Well, we find that people are still applying to us to travel overseas to do research. Mm. So it's definitely still going on, I would say people have to have more determination and tenacity now yes. because they have to understand they may not be able to come back mm. and visit family and friends during their time overseas. They may be overseas for yeah. three to
2: and, five Well, years indefinitely, to be isn't able it? Yeah. Come back. Um, and I sp- we've spoken lot with this with uh, Louise Bicknell, a couple of segments ago about how the work even though we're here in little New Zealand and you're saying your life is here thank goodness though for things like the internet and video streaming because she does a lot of her work and a lot of her contacts with lots of different people are global so I suppose in one aspect the changing travel times that COVID has presented us with still mitigated by the fact we can still pick up the phone and video somebody so probably not as um, it's not as integral to someone doing their research as other industries may be I suppose.
3: Yeah so you couldn't learn a new research technique or a new surgical technique or something like that over the internet but you can still network and collaborate with people.
2: Yes, which is... The
3: conferences are online, and I think they're pretty hard going online, but what I've heard is that some people in New Zealand are hiring a conference venue, right? and so all of the New Zealand conference attendees are getting together and watching it via Zoom together, so they have their own sort of networking time and it's not as boring as sitting at home and watching the conference on your own yeah,
2: yeah and hard work actually sitting and looking at a screen too it's not always you know you think you can dash away and have a cup of tea but you're actually concentrating quite hard I think we all can appreciate that um so we've now had children we've now got back on the journey and what were you doing just before you came to the neurological foundation?
3: So I actually did come back because I wanted basically to do my children's preschool education myself. I'm that sort of person. (laughs) I wanted them to turn out like me. So I wanted to do the education (laughs) myself.
2: Now everyone listening, I know Sarah quite well. So that comes as no surprise to me. (laughs) But anyway, sorry, Sarah for interrupting.
3: Because my kids weren't particularly close together, they're just over three years apart, their preschool education was a long time. I was out of research for about eight years. I was still doing a bit of student supervision and helping apply for grants and write papers, things like that. But generally, I was pretty much out of it. And then I came back and just did the whole thing where... Professor Garth Cooper offered me a lab bench and so I got my own project together, I got my own grants together, sort of ran a whole project myself and that was where I was looking at the link between Alzheimer's and diabetes.
2: Okay, I'm, sounds fantastic. Can you just go back a sentence and explain how, I mean, how when you say you got your grant together and you got yourself organized, what did that actually entail?
3: So you have to get the right team around you, yes. and then you have to work out what do I need to complete a project within a certain amount of time, then you have to price up what you need, so it was getting the price of my own time, so my salary, as well as all the things that i needed to do my research mm. and then put it all basically a grant is a proposal that includes the budget and all the reasons about why you're doing what you're doing why it's important and why somebody should give you money yes because what difference is it going to make to new zealand
2: so a lot of people live and work like this don't they and In- in the organisations that we're used to, what we call soft money, where they're given a piece of space by a university or a learning institution. um, But they're actually a sole trader in effect, if I can, you know, think of it in more lay terms, where they have to generate their own income, um, generate their own community, product... And all the while they're doing the research, when the research is only being funded for maybe a year or 18 months, as well as still getting to the really detailed parts of their research, they're back on the wagon again at trying to fund. So got to yeah. have a lot of hats and have a lot of balls in the air, don't you really? It's tricky. It's
3: It's really difficult to try and apply for grants and be writing reports for Mm. the grants that you do have and still try and get research in there. And then if you want to try and get a permanent position at the university, you need to be teaching on the side and you're expected to do a lot of volunteer work as well.
2: Yes. And so for you you were doing all this as well as having a young family at home. Um, and though I imagine your you know, Carl, your husband, was very supportive um, so how long was this particular grant and what, what was your success at the end?
3: So basically I worked my butt off and yeah. managed to eighteen months worth of funding. Great. And then I found myself without funding applying for grants and yeah. that's when I had a good talk with my husband and we sort of said, If I'm gonna be spending all this time away from my family, mm. I actually need to be doing something that I'm paid for.
2: Yes.
3: I couldn't really see it being a sustainable lifestyle for us. Right. So that's when I decided to pivot again and <laughs> look at a different role within the university and I managed just to get a part-time role because I only wanted to work part-time at that stage, which is very difficult in research also. yes. So I found a part-time role on the PBRF, which is basically a six-yearly review of the work that all the academics at the university have done, and they have to submit that to the Tertiary Education Commission, and they decide how much money the university gets based on how well their academics have done.
2: Right, so it's it's like a value-based kind of bonus scheme for want of a harsh word, is it? Have I understood that correctly?
3: Yeah, and it was also a bit more difficult because it was a six yearly period between reviews, but halfway through that six years they decided they wanted evidence for everything the academics were submitting but they hadn't told them six years ago, so they had three years of not collecting the evidence, so the university put a whole lot of Coordinators on this project just to help the academics yes. get all their evidence together and get their portfolios together.
2: Right, and this when is. When I
3: applied for the job, I thought I was going to be put in the medical school, but right. they ended up putting me actually in the business
2: school. Right, oh, well, that gave me some skills. Yeah.
3: That was actually an amazing. Yeah, an amazing opportunity for my career ending up in the business school because I didn't even know that business people did research. (laughs) And then when I ended up in the business school, I just um, learnt so much fascinating stuff about health economics and just all this amazing stuff that Mm. people are doing that I had no idea about.
2: Oh, fantastic. And I think that was probably the start of your journey of what I said at the very start, holding people's hands, because... Um, If you don't know and you're listening to us, um, the Neurological Foundation has two funding rounds a year. Uh, Our research manager, who we're speaking to now, Dr. Sarah Schomburger, receives these applications. She checks them for compliance and how completed they are, organises external reviewers who provide feedback on the quality of those applications and manages the review committees, of which we have two. So Sarah, could you please um, tell us about those two committees, the Scientific Advisory and the Personal Awards Committee, um, and the differences?
3: So all of our applications used to come to a Scientific Advisory Committee, and that committee was a set number of people. And as the number of applications increased mm. and the amount of work required by the committee increased, the research manager prior to me decided that it was time to just expand the whole process. So they put our applications to be on the committee and got a pool of 30 people together and then they created a second committee for the personal awards. So the personal awards, well, fellowships and scholarships, they interview people. Okay. So it's a time-consuming process.
2: Yes. And what is a fellowship and what is a scholarship? Can you tell us the difference?
3: So a scholarship is for someone to do a PhD. Okay. And a fellowship is for somebody who's got a PhD who wants to do a stint in research. We have all different types for either lab-based PhDs or neurologists wanting to do research.
2: So it's kind of a try-before-you-buy situation. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, And the Scientific Advisory Committee is more about our projects, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so they do all the projects, and our large projects go to external reviewers, so the committee has to look at, all the reviews that come in, look at the project, and then we just have a discussion on the different projects at the committee. Mm. And those are really interesting because we have a whole lot of people from who work with animals, work with cells, work with people, neurologists, neurosurgeons, things like that on our committee. So the discussion is really diverse and people bring all different perspectives, okay. particularly having the clinicians there. Is really important. So somebody may be doing a really great project that's based in the lab, but the clinician will say this will actually never make it anything. in the clinic. It's yes. not viable, and that's a really important piece of information to know at the start.
2: Now it's important because our basis is that, or um, well, when I say we, that and us, the neurological foundation's basis is we fund on the best science that we believe will have some traction in the real world and in the community for people that suffer these terrible and debilitating conditions, don't we? That That's our main goal when we look at what we're funding.
3: Yeah, we're looking at scientific quality and also the best people. So when we're interviewing for fellowships and scholarships, we're wanting to know that they're the most promising candidate and they're also
2: going to be supported by a really good lab or a really good clinic. So they have a robust um, network around them really. Um, yeah. So one thing I get a lot of people talk to me about when I'm out and about in the south um, is they want to know why we don't, why we're not funding MS as much or why we're not looking into Huntington's for example or why are we funding these select ones and I think It's timely in our conversation to say that we don't actually go out and look for these grants. They come to us. So, for example, if you've got 200 grant applications, 180 might be on the same topic. I mean, I doubt that, but I'm being hypothetical. Um, So we don't actually have a, a say, and nor do we want to really at the moment, about what conditions we're funding we're funding the best based as you say best people and the quality of the science is can you say that any better do you think or
3: I think that's a really good question because there are so many people in New Zealand with so many different neurological conditions mm-hmm. when we pull together just the main groups there's seven hundred main groups of neurological conditions right. and then within that There's many more. So if we're looking at funding for a particular condition, we may not have any high quality research in that area in New Zealand. Right. So because New Zealand is a small country, we have really high quality international research. We are the best in the world at a handful of things. Mm. So those are the things that we want to put our money into because they're the ones that are going to have the highest outcome. If we try and spread the money across a whole lot of different conditions that are maybe being researched better elsewhere in the world, it's not really a good use for our money because if another condition has a really good setup in a lab in Sweden, Mm. then that outcome is still going to reach New Zealand eventually. So we want to put our money into what's really going well in New
2: Zealand. Okay, thank you. Because I know that that is something that generally comes up quite a lot. Um, And I think if anyone is interested in the grants that we fund, every second Headlines magazine we put out for a year. So twice a year, the Headlines magazine will detail the people that have been the recipients. Um, You can either go on to our website which is, which is neurological.org.nz um, to view the back copies online or you can contact me um, my email address is kelly bain k-e-l-l-i-e bain, b-a-i-n at neurological.org.nz if you would like to be sent a paper copy um I could keep talking for ages, Sarah, with you about what we do and how we do it because I'm so proud of what we do, Um, but we are running out of time. I did want to say that all the research that we've been so fortunate to facilitate and be able to fund has only been because of the donors out there and the support we get from New Zealanders. Um, This year, I hand on heart, of course, with the conditions, our donations have been down, but um, that's expected. Uh, but I do want to thank everybody that has ever donated to us or taken an interest, because our dual mandate isn't just funding uh, research, it's also providing education and awareness. So please never hesitate to contact me, um, phone, email, or all my details again on the website. Sarah, is there anything else you would like to say before we wrap up for this morning?
3: I would actually like to bring people's attention to the fact that the neuroscience community in New Zealand is growing Mm. according to the amount of funding that we're providing. So the more funding that we're able to provide, the more conditions that people will look at in New Zealand. So for example, there's a certain number of things being researched at the moment, Mm. but as new PhD students and new research fellows come through, they are looking for niches where they can use their techniques to apply to a particular condition. Mm. So the funding that we get and the funding that we can get in the future has potential to keep growing the neuroscience in New Zealand, which is a really exciting
2: thing. Yeah, well, it's exciting for the research world and very exciting for the people that benefit, which is everyone in the community. Um, thank you so much for your time today and thank you again to the Brain Injury Awareness Top of the South for giving us this time and their segments. Um, take care. If you've got any questions, don't hesitate. Remember to call us. Um, and all the best till next time. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thanks, Kelly.
1: Many thanks again to our fantastic supporters at the Neurological Foundation for providing us with that interview and to our sponsors, the Nelson Clinic. Tune in to Heads Up, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9.
0: Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.